Welcome to a special presentation from Talking Comics. This is our Star Wars 40th anniversary recap of um, novels, comics, rebels, and Star Wars things in general. I'm Mara Wood, and I'm here with Carolyn Coca. Hello! Happy 40th anniversary, Star Wars! Um, <laughs> I don't know about you, but like this past week, I've been wearing different Star Wars clothes every day. And oh yeah, right now I'm sporting my Tatooine Twin Sons tank top. Nice, nice. Yeah. I've got my Cantina Band um, three-quarter length shirt from Her Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's last, a good one. Yeah, it is, it is. I had the, um, you know that Darth Vader cherry blossom dress? Yes. I wore that on Friday last week, and everyone kept giving me compliments. And then I turned around and showed them the Darth Vader on the, the skirt, and they're like, oh, okay. And I was like, yeah, fooled you, didn't I? <laughs> I, I kind of feel like I've been thinking um, more about Star Wars from May 4th all the way until now. So mm-hmm. I think I've been proportionately wearing more Star Wars for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I definitely have plans to wear um, my Ray sundress this week, which will be mm-hmm. very interesting since this last week of classes with students is just meetings with their parents and, you know, discussions of special education. And I'm going to sit there with like Ray plastered across my, my body and little BB-8 in the corner. But yeah. So it's a test for the parents to see how cool they are. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so we've been talking about doing in this particular podcast for a while since you and I had so much fun doing the recap back yeah. in January. And of course, there's been quite a few novels and comics published since January of this year, enough for us to do another episode. We're ready. Yeah. Um, so I want to start off by talking about that Last Jedi trailer. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since it came out, and I think that's given us some time to process and think about what went on um, in the trailer and our initial thoughts and things like that. And one thing that popped out to me, and you know, you kind of let me know what you think about this. It's all speculation. Okay. Heads up, this whole podcast is spoilers for everything. Um, yes. When. Luke says it's time for the Jedi to end, which is, you know, the the final words of that that trailer. It made me think back to this emphasis on balance that the mm-hmm. prequels had. And how without Sith, with, you cannot have Jedi. And if you kind of get rid of this dichotomous thinking, you bring true balance to the Force that the Jedi of the prequels never quite understood. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that's the direction they're going, where it's not, you know, this dogmatic thinking of light versus dark, but an acceptance right. of true balance. That is, yeah, I think that is a reasonable theory. Mm-hmm. That would be, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say concerned. I mean, I have faith in the in the creative people, but I did see, um, a, like a. a little clip of an interview with Mark Hamill, Mm -hmm. where he was talking about reading the script. And he said something like, 
So I said to Ryan, uh, I disagree with just about every choice you've made for my character. Oh. <laughs> and, and that is so that is so stuck in my brain that it makes that me <laughs> that that it makes me worried that it he might mean literally what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe maybe it's about fulfilling a prophecy that Yoda said to him mm-hmm. when gone am I the last of the Jedi you will be am mm-hmm. I close is it something like yeah that? yeah he says something like that in Empire. yeah so maybe he feels like he has to be the last of the Jedi mm-hmm. and that when he does that there will be like you said if you don't or maybe this is the converse of what you said if you don't have Jedi then maybe you don't have Sith either mm-hmm. and then that creates a balance or, okay, here's my third theory. <laughs> Tell me what you think. Or um, he is coming around to the idea that you don't have to be just Jedi or just Sith, mm-hmm. that there's some kind of third or alternate path. Yeah, and I've been kind of sort of rewatching Clone Wars because it's something you can have on the background. I've seen all the episodes multiple times. And mm-hmm. about the time this trailer came out, I had rewatched the episodes where Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka land on that weird planet with the yeah, father, yeah. The, the son, and the daughter. And this idea... Yeah, I rewatched those when uh, when Ahsoka allegedly died. I rewatched mm-hmm. those to mm-hmm. look and see if, you know... Anyway, go ahead. Um, but there was this, this emphasis on Anakin being able to control both sides of the Force and how mm-hmm. unique... And different that was, but it seemed entirely natural because the force is everything. Um, mm-hmm. The force mm-hmm. is the balance. So I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. we go, are we going that direction? Are we going to be looking at okay. beyond, you know, this kind of religious adherence to the force and more of a naturalistic spiritual acceptance? I don't know. I've got so many questions. No, that's yeah. I mean, that sounds good too. That's a possibility too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's. I, and if, if only they kept their original release date, we would almost know. Gosh, but, um, I'm okay with it going back to May. You know, these movies, I think, were supposed to come out in May anyway. No. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, December, December was nice because I felt like I couldn't wait from last December to May. Um, <laughs> but right now, from May to December feels like a long time. Yeah. Um, um, to wait on this. Yeah. Um, but the other... It's, but it, it could be any of these things, and of course, it could be none of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask um, are those books in the trailer? I think so. Paper books. Do you think they're Jedi books? Uh, and if so, what would they be? Yes. And so where I'm, would they have come from? Yeah, because in the kind of what's been explored in the novels um, over, over time, you kind of get this idea that. Mm-hmm. they don't write things down on paper. Like, everything's Agreed, done on yeah. data pads. And so... And holocrons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So seeing paper with those, you know, the Jedi symbols on them, I'm like, how old are these things? And how old is this place that mm-hmm. Luke's been at? So, just a lot of right. questions. Although we know from... Yeah, I was going to say we know from... Um, Maybe they were written by acolytes of some kind, mm-hmm. like in 
Guardians of the Wills, he has these sort of epigraphs at the mm-hmm. beginning of chapters that are quoting from, I don't have it in front of me. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the names of those? Um, Disciple of the Wills, edited by Kozum Pell. Uh, collected poems, prayers, and meditations mm-hmm. on the force. So maybe it could be something like that, or maybe, maybe it's Obi-Wan's diary <laughs> <laughs> for, uh, via the comics, yeah. via, via the arc that I don't even want to talk about, but <laughs> we will. <laughs> the, the Yoda arc. Um, or or they're super duper duper old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, and if super duper duper old, are they from the era of... I'm trying to think of extended universe novels that were supposed to be a couple thousand years ago. Um, Dawn of the Jedi, mm-hmm. that era, um, which I'm reading right now. I'm barely into it, but this idea that the Sith um, is a race and not necessarily a religion and everyone kind yeah. of gets along. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, just super ancient texts. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to the basics. So. With apparently really excellent paper that doesn't degrade over time. <laughs> How did he find this? Yeah. But are, are you assuming that's Luke's hand on the paper? I was thinking it was because it was a glove, but it could be anybody. I don't know. I don't know. I would think Luke. Well, you know, he had the um, the gross-looking droid hand at the end True. of Force Awakens. <laughs> right, right. He, didn't have, he doesn't oh, have Kylo Ren. and did he have black gloves that glove looked mm, mm. i feel like it was more brownish but okay. now i might not be remembering correctly yeah well so in short listeners we know nothing yeah <laughs> no, it's just, but uh yeah we're trying to uh use some of our extended uh universe knowledge expanded universe knowledge to uh try to come up with some theories yeah <laughs> they're all sorely lacking <laughs> <laughs> for that star wars for you all right um i like the I liked, oh, one other thing about the trailer yeah. i liked the structure where it says something um you know she's seeing light and then they kind of show the back of leia's head mm-hmm. and dark and then they show the helmet and that was nice yes yes um so yeah we have to wait a whole nother year for that but yeah oh, yep oh well um novels and so if you listen to the Talking Comics podcast when I was on it regularly, I talked a lot about the Star Wars comics. Um, I don't recall talking extensively about the novels so much. Um, I think I limited myself to this fangirling over the, the comics. Um, mm-hmm. But since uh, I do all my comic talk on Legendary Runs now, I've really started talking a lot about the Star Wars novels I'm reading. <laughs> um in part because Matt doesn't care that I, you know, wax poetic about the novels and what I'm reading at the time. And no one's told me to shut up about it yet, so I just keep on keep on doing it. Um, we had four <laughs> big novels that came out so far. Um, Aftermath, mm-hmm. Empire's End by Chuck Wendig. Um, Thrawn by Timothy Zahn. Rebel Rising by Beth Revis. Or Revis. Um, and then Guardians of the Wills by it's Greg Rucka. Could be either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with let's start with Empire's End, which is the third ba- book in the Aftermath trilogy. Um, okay. Initial impressions. What do you think? 
initial impressions that of the trilogy, it's definitely my favorite of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did you feel that way too, or did you like them pretty equally? Uh, I think this one to me was the best one because of the payoff. So mm-hmm. the, the first one, I don't want to call it a disappointment. It just wasn't what I was expecting. Um, and the second one brought more of yeah. what I was expecting anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And then this third one definitely gave the payoff for it all and started tying things together and setting up The Force Awakens truly. Which, yes. you know, I understand why they didn't do it initially. Um, you don't want all these names dropped or places dropped or things dropped too early in you know, the progression of the movies. But this one did a good job of touching the kyber crystals part, touching um, mm-hmm. the Hux and his, you know, crazy kids that he uh, um, trains <laughs> to be soldiers and things like that. And, you know, mentioning of uh, Nima Outpost and who Nima is and, and things like that. It definitely was the most satisfying of the three. Yes, I agree. And I I did not love the first one either. And I wasn't quite sure if this was just an author I hadn't read before. So I was getting used to his style. Or if it was that I was trying very hard to learn about these new characters that were being introduced. And that was just cutting down on my enjoyment. Um, or that it was more table setting. I'm not sure. But this one... I guess I felt like I re- I knew the characters, um, and so that sort of made it easier. But there is also a whole lot of action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one in particular, I really loved. Anytime Sinjir was on page, yes, yes. Looking at my notes, the first sentence is Sinjir is the absolute best. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I would read like entire novels just about him. I'm just being novels. S- cartoons, movies, whatever, bring this in here. Uh, yeah. I mean, everything he said was just completely entertaining mm-hmm. and uh, everything he the choices that he made, you know, certainly of course have payoffs as well. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he's back with Condor. Yes. Yes. He deserves Condor a little happiness. Does. He does. He does. And I'm glad about his new job. Mm-hmm. That, Surprising uh, as it is. Yes, quite surprising, right? Because he supposedly really hates politics, but now he's going to be Mon Mothma's advisor. Mm -hmm. And she was great, too. I really liked her sort of wiliness Mm -hmm. uh, as she's navigating her political world. She's not totally just this placid, many Bothans have died to bring us this information Mm -hmm. person, right? Like she's like kind of down in there. I don't want to say getting her hands dirty. That's not quite fair. But but she knows exactly what she's doing and she knows how to make political wheels turn. Yeah. Um, the Mon Mothma of this book reminded me of that moment in Rogue One where she's like, oh, they've mm-hmm. gone to they've gone to Scarif. Get me General Draven or, or whoever. And he's like, he's gone to fight. And she kind of just smirks a little. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Yep. Yeah, you got what you wanted. <laughs> Absolutely. She's smirky Mon Mothma in this book, <laughs> which is great. Um. Oh, the other thing I liked about this book, and I didn't realize it until I was kind of looking through it again. Um, we have the Barnes & Noble edition that comes with the poster pullout. I don't know if you've seen oh. the, the poster of it. Um, no, I read it electronically, so. Yeah, it's a really neat poster. On one side is an advertisement to join up with the New Republic, and it has Nora's profile 
Holy oh, yeah, that's right. When when the book came out, I saw a picture of it online. They are cool looking. Yeah. And then the other side is Ray Sloan. And I mm-hmm. didn't realize it until I sat here and was looking at the pictures again. I'm like, the two main characters, the ones that, you know, everything kind of hinges on are older women. Yeah. And, you know, and these, these poster yep. pictures of both of them show them with gray hair and lines in their face and things like that. And I was like, oh, that's pretty yeah. cool. So not not only are they women who are underrepresented, but but older women are vastly underrepresented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of an and interesting, the, you know, late observation on my part. No, it's great, and you're right. They are in many ways the the main characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the when you know, in, in terms of Nora, when she and Jazz, do you mm-hmm. just say Jazz? Yeah. Jazz, when when they were on Jakku. You know, that part was just like, you, I felt the, the awfulness of their situation, <laughs> you know, sort of the, the hope, the hopeless, what seemed like the hopelessness of their capture. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else major, uh, the forming of the new Republic, of course, the election mm-hmm. of Mon Mothma after a very yes. brutal, uh, campaign, uh, tough. Yeah to get where she is the birth of ben solo yes um, uh so there are a couple of fun, there are some funny scenes with pregnant leia and han don't really just not knowing what to do <laughs> bless his heart he tried he tried so hard he did try, he did try and he gets to be in some action mm-hmm. with, uh, with sinjir and the others so that's cool too oh we should mention uh jar jar binks makes we an should appearance in this book well should we what do you want to what do you feel about the interludes in general i actually liked them um i'm trying to think so there was one of jar jar there was one of Mm -hmm. the crystals and uh what's that planet called christophilus or something christophsis yes um one of lando uh yeah and lobot and lobot (laughs) of course and i'm trying to think what other ones there were there was Chewie's son, Lumpy. Yes, who's not called Lumpy in this one. I know. Excuse me. Excuse me. I don't You're right. His real name. They got rid of the Lumpy. <laughs> Lumpawaru. I think is they called his him name, right? Waru or something. They did call him Waru. Okay. Yeah, but but isn't he from the Christmas special? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how much of the Christmas special is canon now? <laughs> Please don't show me the Diane Carroll. Porn holly, porn I really don't want to see that. Um, and I was, I mean, it, I thought that was that, that was cute that they used him. But mm-hmm. um, expanded universe me was a little bummed that it wasn't Lobaka. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, was he the nephew? I want to say he was Chewie's nephew, and he'd uh, he's at like Jedi Academy with the twins, Jaina and Jason. Oh yeah, and Han and Leia's kids in in the old mm-hmm. expanded. Jaina and Jason hey, and Loie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just because we have Waru doesn't mean we can't have his cousin, Loie. <laughs> um, there was also Masa Meta. Oh, yeah. Be- being rescued by some kids. Some street urchins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the Emperor talking to Gallius Rax, mm-hmm. telling him he has a contingency plan. 
So the, these, I did like these interludes too. I liked them a lot. I liked them in a different way from the interludes in the Ahsoka book that we talked about. Mm-hmm. And because in the Ahsoka book, in some ways, I liked the interludes better than the actual text of the book because the interludes sort of had these ties to the Clone Wars and to these other characters and stuff. Mm-hmm. Here, I guess I'm invested enough now in the characters in the main book that the interludes were cool. They didn't take me away really from mm-hmm. from the main book in the same way that, that it happened in the Ahsoka book with me. Yeah. And I, if I remember correctly, the first book in the series, the first Aftermath book, didn't have a whole lot of characters you recognized. No, I think Wedge, mm, and I guess Snap. Mm-hmm. Is that it? I remember a lot of the interludes were just common folk in the galaxy, kind of explaining the situation from different perspectives. And it's been a while since I read Aftermath, and I kind of am thinking now that everything's over, going back and rereading it and following those character developments. Mm-hmm. But this one featured characters that I had already known. Yeah. Um, or I was wanting well, to know what they were the, doing. The most, mm-hmm. There was, like you said, the Christophsis one, mm-hmm. that Church of, Church of the Force stuff and the crystals. I mean, we didn't know who those people were, but we know about the crystals. So there's still a link there with mm-hmm. stuff we already mm-hmm. had some knowledge of. Oh, and those Vader Lives acolytes. Yeah. And like hunting down the uh, Force. Yeah. Um, artifacts and things like that. Sith yeah, artifacts. yeah, that was interesting. I'd like to see that play out somewhere. Uh, what I liked the most, as far as like minor, minor, minor side storylines, was the idea that Lando bought Ben a gun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With the idea that, hey, if you ever get in trouble, come to me first. <laughs> yeah, and and the little yeah, the reference to the the. The, the contingency ship, the Imperialis, just that little throwaway thing about how it had been stolen. So you have that link to the Lando comic. Yeah. Um, so anything else from Empire's End? Hmm. Um, Mr. Bones? Yes. He's delightful as always. He was delightful and then he was... Not. <laughs> not with us anymore. <laughs> He had a fake death and then a real death. Yeah. R.I.P. Mr. T- Bones. Yeah. Goodbye, Mr. Bones. We, And thank you for sort of kind of showing up um, in where? In Rebels, right? Uh, kind of? Poe. Oh, in Poe. That's yes. right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that moment. And, yes. you know, I've heard some people complain, you know, while we're on the subject of murder droids, that... Um, they're not fans of Mr. Bones or BT or Triple Zero or these, you know, badass droid characters. But, man, I love it. And I think that's a carryover <laughs> from playing Knights of the Old Republic, where one of the characters mm-hmm. you gain in your party was HK-47. I think that's his name. Mm-hmm. Who called it meatbags and was just awful. And I think it also plays up my childhood fear of ig88 like i used to like be so scared of him because i played shadows of the empire and i could not get past that level and i would just hear his little you know Mm -hmm. vocalizations and just like panic 
and hide in the junkyard and, and things like that. So it's it's kind of like facing my fears with these murder droids and really enjoying it. So. No, I, I am one of the, those people who prefers them in smaller doses. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're like, I think there was a good amount of Mr. Bones in all three books. Mm-hmm. And I think there are certain issues of, I guess, K- Gillen's Darth Vader, where I thought it was a little repetitive. Like when they tell you they're going to do violence on every page, it, it's, I think there can be too much of it, but in, in smaller doses, it, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next big novel that came out this year was a highly, highly anticipated one Thrawn by Timothy Zahn. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if you're listening to this Star Wars podcast special, you know who Thrawn is. You know who Timothy Zahn is. You probably read this book and enjoyed it as as much as I did. Um, this was one where... But if you don't... Yeah, if we, you don't. We should, we should do it. Just in case you don't. Do okay. you want to say who he is? Or... Yeah, so in the... And this one's difficult for me because I wasn't like... I was alive, but, you know, a little... Um, there was a period of time where the Star Wars novels were kind of mm, not really being published, not great, and things like that. And Timothy Zahn came and introduced Heir to the Empire in that Thrawn trilogy, where these books took place pretty pretty quickly after Return of the Jedi and explained what happened to the universe after the Emperor passed away. Um, the power vacuum and, and the politics and introduced Mara Jade to, to the Star Wars universe, as well as a character named Grand Admiral Thrawn. And Thrawn is described as ruthless, calculating, um, almost like a gentleman in a sense. Mm-hmm. And he's been pretty much a fan favorite villain for decades now. And one of the interesting things about Thrawn that I understood prior to Disney buying the company and, and all that kind of stuff was that he's an alien in an agency that was pretty much presented as xenophobic. Mm-hmm. And this idea that an alien rose to such heights was really interesting. Like, how did he overcome all these obstacles? How did he get to where he is now? And... This novel that is now in canon by the creator of the character explores that entire background. The things he had to do to get to this position of power, why it was so important to him, where he came from, you know, kind of his end goals and things like that. And I want to tell you, like, this was, I mean, it wasn't surprising because I knew I was going to like it before I read it. But there are a lot of things about this novel that I was really, really pleased with. Um, and not necessarily all of them dealing with Thrawn himself. So. Right, right. Well, I, I think it's, I mean, I I thought, like, we, we were just talking about Empire's End. I thought Empire's End was good. I, I liked it more than the previous two. I was pleased by it. Mm-hmm. But then when I read Thrawn, it was like, I was feeling, and I know this is unfair, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it anyway. I was suddenly feeling like, Empire's End was pretty good, and it was good for a Star Wars book, but but Thrawn is just a good book, mm-hmm. and Timothy Zahn is just a good author. Mm-hmm. So 
it can kind of go up against all other kinds of novels. It, it doesn't have to only be compared to other Star Wars novels that have been published over the last 40 years, which are uneven in mm-hmm. quality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's... I. I would absolutely recommend the book. I think Zahn has earned his reputation again. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, the thing that surprised me the most about this book, I don't read anything about these books before I buy them. I see Star Wars in the title, I just buy it. I'm mm-hmm. the worst kind of shopper ever. Um, <laughs> but as I was listening to the audiobook, and this is one I bought in hardback and audiobook because, again, I see Star Wars and I just buy it. And when they mentioned the character Arinda Price, mm-hmm. I had like almost a double take, like, no, what? Yeah, I did not see that coming. Ah, man, that was a very pleasant surprise. Um, Arinda Price is a character that is on Rebels. And was she introduced in season two or season three only? Oh, dear. I can't I don't remember. remember. Well, she's been on for a while. Um. She is Governor Price in Star Wars Rebels, Governor of Lethal, and a pretty ruthless character. Um, I can remember um, that episode she had with Sabine, where you know she took her in for questioning, mm-hmm. and, and yep, she's very strict, uptight, um, yeah, just kind of like a traditional imperial character. So in yeah, this book, and, and, and mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead. I mean, we're we're introduced to her origin story too, which again, pleasant surprise. A pleasant surprise, and the way that you see her in Rebels, you can definitely see uh, that she has been on that kind of cold-blooded, calculating track for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the origin part kind of shows us why she has she has some bitterness and some ambitions and when the two things get put together (laughs) um (laughs) that's who you get and she manages to it doesn't mean that she is cold to everybody there's kind of this nuance with these people that she's around and they're kind of her friends Mm -hmm. and kind of not um but she manages to get Tarkin on her side and seemingly kind of Thrawn on her side. She is very clever in ways of sort of um, telling people who are above her in rank what she can do for them and make herself kind of indispensable to them. Mm-hmm. And you got to uh, really yeah, admire that. Was, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I liked all the parts that she was in as well. Mm-hmm. What did you think of our point of view character, um, Eli? I He grew on me. Um, at first, I was kind of annoyed by him. And I think part of that was I was listening to the audiobook. And they gave him a very, very Southern accent every time he talked. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. And I think that was to help convey the idea that Wild Space was more uneducated. Uh, or looser with conventions of communication. I, I don't know. But they gave him kind of a, a strong southern accent, which is not unusual. Um, you know, when you watch anime or read manga, characters that mm. come from a less developed region of Japan, they give them southern accents. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so it kind of gave like a yokel 
feeling to it at first. <laughs> there, there are a number of places in the book where they point out that the within the empire there are because there aren't necess- they don't talk much specifically about racial divisions, but mm-hmm. they talk about class divisions. And mm-hmm. the class divisions seem to be very much based on how far from the core you are. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, certainly it is interesting to think about the idea that a go-to for being uneducated is a Southern United States accent. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's kind of like I mean, I, I'm from New York, I'm from New York, so that seems reasonable to me. No, it doesn't actually. <laughs> that, that is not there. There is really not much uh, fair about that. Yeah, and so I was like, mm, okay. Um, and he kept annoying me that he just wanted to go back to supply. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're working with Thrawn right now. You are working with Thrawn. Do you not know what is going on? Um, Did you? I, I was wondering at certain parts. Do you think? I, when he when Thrawn would kind of stop and look to him for a translation, mm-hmm. do you think he always actually needed that translation, or he was just trying to, which is possible, mm-hmm. or that Thrawn was being his calculating self and making Eli feel necessary, or or trying to show whoever they were talking to that he didn't know everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I couldn't tell if it was a ploy or not. See, that's where I think it goes back to your your comment on it, this being a good book. Like, yeah, we didn't need that explained yeah. to us. I mean, we mm-hmm. got the feeling of the character that there are multiple reasons why he might want someone like that around him. And yes. all of them are to get to his end goal. Right. And in those moments, part of me, you know, in the moment I was reading it, I was thinking like, you know, he's testing his confidant. He's trying to get Eli to get mm-hmm. to the point where he's thinking on the same level as Thrawn. Which... Mm-hmm to me seems kind of altruistic because Thrawn doesn't necessarily need that. Um, and of course that's based on the presentation that we see of him in rebels and what you know of him ex- expanded universe and all this um, baggage you carry with the character at this point, but trying to go back and think, Oh yeah, he's at the beginning of this military career with the empire. He's still trying to figure out, you know, the politics of everything. He may genuinely mm-hmm. need someone who kind of understands it a little bit more. Although they keep pointing out that Eli's from wild space. He doesn't know this stuff either. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I, you know, that kind of fell apart a little bit for me, but the fact that Eli was more familiar with humans and mm-hmm. interacting in a system like this, since he's, you know, been training with the Imperial Academy for however many years, yeah, you know, it could be a mixture of, of several different things there. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I, I kind of like that I don't know the answers to those mm-hmm. questions. I'm, I'm okay with that. And Thrawn, the reason I started thinking about I wasn't sure if he needed the translation or not was that Thrawn is supposed to be this sort of honorable, non-political figure, but he's like super-duper political mm-hmm. in his tactics. He's, he's assessing every single person that he comes in contact with and how to work that person so as to get to whatever Thrawn's end goal is. Mm -hmm. Um, And Thrawn, Thrawn, um, on the one hand here, there, he is very concerned about collateral damage. Mm -hmm. He is trying to contain it. That makes him a more sympathetic figure. 
But on the other hand, he talks about people as assets mm-hmm. and Wookiee slaves as assets. So uh, I kind of liked that. I don't know if it's a contradiction or not, but I like that complexity to him. Mm-hmm. Like he's trying to to push those feelings down and reassess things as more objective rather than subjective. I think so. I think so. Yeah. But he, in, in some ways he doesn't have the cold bloodedness of, of price. Mm-mm. No. Um, what did you think about the epilogue in the book? That Eli goes to the Chiss, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I was surprised because, well, number one, I just liked that there was talk of Chiss mm-hmm. <laughs> to begin with, that they didn't try to, um, you know, sort of downplay that. They they talked about them in the same way that they were talked about in the old novels. Um, but I, I feel like I remember that they didn't really like outsiders very much. Right. And I think so that was I implied guess- in Thrawn as well. I guess we're supposed to think that they're going to accept Eli because he has been working with Thrawn all this time. That's my assumption that maybe he came with a letter of recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) But does it mean that Eli is Thrawn's kind of spy for the Chiss or is he, or is he acting for the empire with the Chiss or a liaison or maybe, maybe a Thrawn kind of foresaw the empire as a failing um, endeavor, a failing government. I could see that, yes. And wanted to protect his friend and his assets. Well, and he maybe also wants to protect them because Thrawn being Thrawn, he's putting together all these um, these missing supplies. Mm-hmm. And he's figuring out what all these missing supplies could be put together to do to the point that he could, like, just full-on confronts the emperor which is awesome Mm -hmm. and um but the emperor just tells him yeah this death star thing it's going to be a great deterrent we won't even really need to use it don't worry about it (laughs) all right so we won't use it on your chest it's cool yeah okay um anything else from well i there was um i i thought it seeded rebels very well Mm -hmm. um for people who hadn't read other novels with thrawn in them i think you could read this book and see him easily as the same person who's on rebels that he's looking at people he's he quickly notices art and body language and people's tones and i liked the italicized thoughts that he had Mm -hmm. i mean i really liked the whole thing the the only thing the only thing that i didn't really think was great was the reveal of night swan Oh, yeah. Eh. Because when he was revealed, I actually did not remember who he was. He was that pirate guy, right? Or fake, yeah. fake pirate guy? Right. So so I, so I read it, and then I was like, is he one of those pirate guys? I guess he's one of those pirate guys. I, I just thought it was a kind of a letdown. Mm-hmm. But he, he was interesting as a character. It's just maybe it had been too many pages. I don't know. Yeah, I think especially for this novel, it was one of those where I didn't care about the main plot. So much as I cared about the characters. Yeah. But but just reading about the characters kept you plenty busy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that the main plot is about the way that he and Eli are, and Price are all kind of climbing the ranks and they're interfacing with higher and higher up people. Um, Ularin and then 
um, well, the emperor, mm-hmm. uh, Tarkin, and you wonder, we, we're told that Thrawn met Anakin. Does he, does he yeah. know? Mm. Because Vader does. is, Vader is vouching for Thrawn. Mm-hmm. I, he probably does, right? He I mean, knows that. Thrawn probably knows and Tarkin, I believe, yes. definitely knows. I agree. Um, who, I don't know if Yularen knows. Mm. Um, Cause they had quite a few interactions in clone wars. That's true. But we don't have a lot of um, insight into Yularen so far. Right. But if he's a decent officer, you'd think he would notice things like, hey, the way that Vader guy swings that lightsaber is very similar to Andy yes. Skywalker. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, what's he? Security? Uh, Imperial Security Bureau? ISB? ISB, yeah. And so it's his job to notice those things. So... It should be, right? It should be. <laughs> uh, we had two books come out, what, like three weeks ago? Uh-huh. Uh, Guardians of the Wills and Rebel Rising. And I want to start with Guardians of the Wills. Uh, okay. This one did not keep my interest as much as the others. <gasps> and I Don't feel, you blaspheme against Greg Rucka. I know. I feel really bad saying that because... <laughs> Rucka is my guy. Like he put something out and I'm, and I'm there to read it. Um, and I don't know if it was the style of the book or maybe I wasn't as invested in the characters as I thought I was, but it, it was one of those novels where I'm like, am I, am I over this yet? Am I done? How many pages? Um, oh dear. Yeah. Well, I didn't feel that way. Well, okay. I like- what'd you think of it? I no, I I did like it. I thought that it was typical Rucka in many mm-hmm. ways. In that, you've got some very, you find out a lot about the characters through very economical dialogue choices. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't have them go on and on with big speeches, but what they do say, I feel like you can grasp onto them pretty quickly. And you've got some witty banter between Bays and and Shirot. Um, which I also liked. I mean, their bond is very clear from the beginning, and I felt like they get sketched. That you 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 got, you can just get the core of their characters pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Having said that, the actual plot of it is not. There's not. It's not much. I felt like it was more reading about characters than reading about the thing they were doing because they're really only doing one thing, right? They they're stealing stuff from Imperials for orphans. Yes. And then they're getting the orphans off of the planet in the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Saw Gerrera is there. Yes. And that was the other thing. Because I was... When they started mentioning Saw Gerrera and his role with um, Baze and Chirrut, I was like, well, why why were they so ready to jail them when they saw them in the movie? Like, hmm. you know, it's like, uh, you guys know who these two guys are. Like, why are mm-hmm. you arresting them or not arresting, but apprehending them along with these two, three people that you feel like um, were detrimental to your assault? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of broke it for me as soon as they met Saul. And I was like, y'all work together. I mean, you you know what you stand for and who's who and, you know, have had interactions with each other. And I guess, you know, could this be retribution? Because Baze and Chirrut kind of, what, they stole from Saw at the end of the book? Or am I misremembering that? 
No, they, I mean, they, they, he's been watching them Mm -hmm. to recruit, to recruit them basically. And they kind of believe in his passion, but they don't really trust him. Mm -hmm. But then they do work together on some things. But then when things escalate, saw that, um, they get, I want to say Baze. Yeah, Baze gets a promise from him. We don't quite know what it is till the end, but the promise is that Saw is going to help them get these orphans off the planet. Mm -hmm. But when they get there, Saw basically wants to take that shuttle, and instead of getting the orphans off the planet, he wants to use it to blow up inside a Star Destroyer that's hovering overhead. Right. So, therefore, I, I think that you're right, that Baze and Shira don't let that happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they take the shuttle and they get the orphans off the planet. So I think we can assume that Saw is not happy about that. Right, right. Um, what I did like about the novel was kind of fleshing out Baze, who yeah. has like, what, 10 lines total in the movie? <laughs> uh-huh. And all of them very short, not a whole lot of information. Um you know, we rely a lot on the nonverbals of the character to kind of understand who he is. And I think Rucka did a good job taking that presentation and making it more whole. Yeah, I, I felt like he got their, it, it seemed to me he got their essences as we probably gathered them from the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also liked kind of um, expanding on the idea of the Guardians and um, mm-hmm. Oh, what was the other group? The Disciples. Yeah, Disciples, right. Mm-hmm. The, those sisters, one of the sisters was a disciple, Killian Kaya, but I don't remember which was which now. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a, um, it was good to kind of dive into that a little bit more because I remember, I don't remember if it was in Catalyst or just the Visual Dictionary, but they men- they mentioned that Lyra is a believer in the force, but not a Jedi. And this idea that you can believe in something without being a practicing Jedi or Sith. And so again, with the disciples of the wills and the guardians of the wills, it just kind of um, gives us more about the force. And again, pushes that idea of balance coming Mm -hmm. in the last Jedi movie um, even more to me, kind of like setting up this idea that it's unnatural to rely too much on one side or the other. Mm-hmm. That you must accept the force as it is in its whole. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that was right in Catalyst. I, it was, About, yeah. Um, I think it was. And I remember distinctly in the visual dictionary, they point out that she wears a red um, sash or yes, part right. of her skirt is red. And that's supposed to be symbolic of a believer, which mm-hmm. we see Chirrut kind of has a little bit of that red yep. running in his outfit, too. And Baze does yep. as well. Yes. I, I also liked that we see a couple times Chirrut uses his his blindness against <laughs> people. <laughs> you know, he sort of, he, he can, um, when he's trying to get people to underestimate him, so he sort of unfocuses his gaze and kind of leans over in his posture instead of standing up straight and makes mm-hmm. it seem like he's this person who can barely take care of himself. Mm-hmm. And then, but Baze knows him so well that he sees like a slight shift in Shira's hand on his staff means he's going to take down this whole 
alley full of stormtroopers <laughs> or whatever. Yep. Yep. Oh, for, don't mind me. I can't see anything. <laughs> um, I, I also think that there were, I don't know if this was planned or not, but to me, it seemed like there were a couple other than the character of saw. There were a couple pretty direct similarities to rebel rising. There's a part where, where, I mean, I think this book also without hammering it too much showed us pretty quickly the dark side of the empire, it's pollution, Mm -hmm. it's exploitation, it's violence, it's orphans. Um, And there's a part where Chirut says something like he blames the partisans, in other words, Saw's group, um, and the empire. And Mm -hmm. Jin thinks or says something kind of similar in Rebel Rising. And then there was another thing that I thought was kind of similar where Saw and Baze are having a drink, they're talking, and they say something also about like the power of hope. And mm-hmm. and that's kind of in Rebel Rising as yeah. well. Yeah. So let's let's move on to Rebel Rising, which I enjoyed this one a lot. Um, I did too, and I honestly wasn't expecting to. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it reminded me a lot of Lost Stars. And mm. as far as how invested I was. Like Lost yes. Stars, I could not put down. Rebel Rising, I was like, ah, oh, what's happening next? Uh, yeah, because in the movie, I liked Jin, but I didn't really feel much attachment to her. And mm-hmm. then when I read the novelization, I felt like, okay, there's a little more of her to grab onto there. But here, I think Beth Revis or Revis really knocks it out of the park, making mm-hmm. her interesting. Mm-hmm. This was another book that, again, like I said, I don't read anything about them before I buy them. I did not realize that this covered Jen's entire life up until Rogue One. Yeah, really. Yep. (laughs) I was like, how far are we going to go with this book? Oh, right up until she meets Mon Mothma. Okay. Um, Also, because I electronically, I didn't know how long it was. Yes. So I guess in my mind, it was the same size as Guardians of the Wills. Mm -hmm. And then electronically, it's like, you're on page 12 of 872. I'm like, okay. (laughs) All right, let's speed this up a little bit. It really goes quickly. Mm-hmm. So this book takes place. I mean, it, it opens with her in that little um, cavern, mm-hmm. um, right? And this is kind of told almost as a flashback because um, we see her as she's spending. Um, I can't remember if it's five or six months, maybe even seven, on Wobani, that planet where mm-hmm. um, we see her. Six. Yes, um, and so. You know, we get we get kind of two or three pages of what that prison camp is like, and then we get several chapters of her youth and how she got to the place where she is today. Um, mm-hmm. We see her trained by Saw Guerrera, and what was going on that made him abandon her. And I thought this was, I mean, I felt so much for her. Um, and Me too. I mean, Saw was the one who rescued her. He was the one that introduced her to an entire new world and made her powerful. Yeah. And, you know, in the movie, he kept saying that people were starting to figure it out. People were starting to ask questions. I couldn't have you around anymore. I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever, big deal. Um, No, the book (laughs) highlighted just how dangerous it was for her to be around these extremists. Yeah. And it was just heartbreaking every time someone started to put things together and started to ask too many questions or noticed the kyber crystal around her neck and 
you know, put two and two together and just how ruthless Saul was with them. I mean, the man killed people who started to ask too many questions. Yep. And he did. And he, uh, and it's, we learn that this is why she wears her scarf. She wears mm-hmm. the scarf to hide the necklace. Mm-hmm. Um, what I liked most about this book, um, you know, it's written as a young adult novel, first off. So, you know, it's got a little bit of that romance to it that was not necessarily in Rogue One, but kind of made Jin, I think, more human. Yeah, She wasn't just this killing machine, but once she found a family, she became more affectionate with, you know, her surrogate father. Once she found uh, a peer in her teenage years, she um, Mm -hmm. started, you know, succumbing to a little bit of the hormones that kind of come out when you're 17 years old and home alone with another 17-year-old. but but it wasn't but it was done so well that yeah. it's really his mother that first kind of takes her in mm-hmm. and she's and she's very wary with both of them and the author does a good job of making you feel like a quite a bit of time has passed and it's taken her quite a bit of time to to be able to trust them and warm up to them and consider mm-hmm. them family mm-hmm. and just how much it hurt when she just keeps losing people yeah and you know this this loss keeps coming around and around and I kept thinking back to that line where she tells Cassie I'm not used to people sticking around and usually I thought that was like oh you know people leave because they don't want to be around her no people die or she gets separated from them for very serious reasons and you know she's making light of it in that moment but it's like she's trying to hide that pain from him yeah it's all it's almost all pain yeah Yeah. Yeah. and but and Saw refers to himself as her father in mm-hmm. front of other people, and it's clear she sees him as a father figure. He's he's done all this training with her, like mm-hmm. you said, to make her strong. She has these great computer skills, like yeah. or slicer skills, or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the one, the, and this is like the only thing that I kind of questioned in this book is I honestly didn't see why he left her. There, the situation leading up to that, I think that his paranoia played a bigger role in it than the actual situation. I think that um, we kind of saw him growing more and more unhinged as, oh, yeah, definitely. as the novel went on. And, you know, we'll get to, to protect her. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, after reading this novel, I went back and read or watched the rebels, you know, series, and we'll get to that in a minute. But mm-hmm. this idea that saw is so, consumed by what the empire did to him and did to his sister and his planet. And now, you know, he met Jen when she was a a very small child. He knew the Ersos, he knew these people and suddenly others were out to get her. You know, what does a paranoid person do in a situation like that? Well, in his case, gives her a loaded blaster and a knife and leaves her in a bunker. (laughs) Um, and just trying to think about how she's much safer on her own than she ever could be with me. And it's like, oh, man, you know what? I would like to see or read what was going through his head on the opposite side as he was leaving her behind. Yeah, me too, because it, 
I wasn't, I on it. I mean, what you, what you said makes sense. So I think that's a good explanation. When I was reading it, I really wasn't sure. I felt like he, he's leaving with, I don't remember who he left with, but like, why um, would yeah. she not fit on the ship with them? Mm-hmm. And, and is it, was it because more people, he just thought more and more people would find out, or he really thought he was going to come back to get her the next day mm-hmm. because he says something like that yeah. initially. And I don't. Um, I think he was just giving her a line. I don't think he ever intended to come back. Mm. I mean, I the the way I read it and the way I perceived the character was that he thought he was doing right by her in that moment. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, she survived, arguably. Um, she might have been better off at the end of things. I mean, we we watched Rogue One. We saw the good she did once she was freed of him. Um, True. But man, that's some uh, heavy emotional scarring um, to have two parental figures, or three actually, um, parental figures ripped from you in moments that you needed them. So. Right, right. And I, I I see what you're saying about she would be better without him or maybe even safer without mm-hmm. him. But it could have also been, I mean, it doesn't seem like it because he's gone to such lengths up until that point to parent her. Yeah. I mean, not like a perfect parent, but the best he could do, mm-hmm. I think, to, to parent her, um, to strengthen her. And so I was kind of wondering, is he leaving her there for her or is he leaving her there for him so he doesn't have to deal with it? Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have to he can let some of the paranoia go because he doesn't have to be solely motivated by, are these people around me going to find out who she is? That's a very good he point. Could just totally, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, could he just therefore totally devote himself to the cause mm-hmm. without her? Yeah. Well, he and did send someone to spy on her. Yes. Kind of. So does that mean he cares about her? Uh, I assume that he does. Twisted, awful, weird way. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because she, when, um, when her, you know, her chosen, her second chosen family, I guess, you know, Haddon mm-hmm. and his mother, when bad stuff happens to them, the guy that, that saw sends to spy on her, maybe, mm-hmm. do you think maybe Zosad with an X? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, who mentions Fulcrum, by the way, and yeah. Jin totally doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Whoosh. Anyway, so Zosad comes and then the Imperials come and she blames Zosad, mm-hmm. you know, like, like you've brought the Imperials to this planet, whatever. But really, she's to blame because she's brought Zosad there and she's brought the Imperials mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not totally his fault. Or it's also Saw's fault that Imperials wind up on that planet. Or maybe it was inevitable because they wanted it. They just start taking over every planet. They make a point of that in the book, too. There's no place that's safe in this mm-hmm. in this galaxy. And I think the book makes a really good point as well as far as it's not one side's fault. It's their reaction to each other. And the movie kind of highlights that a little bit, too, where Vader's like, um, uh, bomb, you bombed a jet or you destroyed Jetta, but then our base got bombed and what's next like Mm -hmm. how this is going to go back and forth and people are going to get hurt on both sides um yeah they they all kind of fit in together because mm -hmm. in saw's episodes on rebels and in guardians of the wills and in rebel rising you're you're given the same message which is that 
Saw's partisans tactics in some ways are just as bad as the empire mm-hmm. because they're, they're, um, they're engendering worse imperial reprisals and they're not stopping the empire. Yeah. Yeah. People are getting caught in the crossfire. Mm-hmm. So, um, as far as the four books that came out, I think Rebel Rising was um, one of my favorites. Rebel Rising and Thrawn, um, the the two of them, yeah, I think, I are say, the must reads. Yeah, I would say Thrawn, then Rebel Rising, then Guardians of the Wills, then Empire's End for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and just one other thing about Rebel Rising, I also liked that after she has all these losses, she makes choices that are for her survival, but they're choices that are difficult for her to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so she kind of tries to stamp out any hope in herself, but she really doesn't. She, there is a a glimmer of hope there. And, and, and there are some recurring sort of, um, recurring little sayings uh, one of them was one fighter with a sharp stick and nothing left to lose can take the day mm-hmm. and another one was about kyber crystals and it was something like one little innocent rock can actually have so much power as to change the galaxy and you know it was like but the but they weren't bonk bonk on the head moments they mm-hmm. were seated in the narrative in ways that really enriched it i yes. thought yeah i hope that uh Revis or, or Revis or you know I hope Beth writes more Star Wars books moving forward. I agree. Yeah. Um, I think I think uh, I like her style. I like what she's got me to too. say. Yeah, me too. All right, let's uh, let's talk some comics <laughs> and let's start with the Star Wars series. <laughs> could we could we talk about Rebels just yeah. for a minute? Because we were just talking about Saw and Rebels. Yeah, let's let's do that. Because uh, I don't want to talk about the Yoda storyline yet. I totally don't want to talk about the Yoda. <laughs> and so, since we're on Saw in that era, mm-hmm. uh, we can delay talking about Yoda by talking about <laughs> the Ghost of Geonosis. Ghost of Geonosis. <laughs> I didn't like it as much as I would have liked to like it. Oh, um, I know, I know. But the but the. Um, but, you know, if, if like a one sentence uh, summary of those episodes, I think was good. Like, OK, it's Geonosis and the Empire wiped them out to conceal the Death Star. OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but Saw was a little bit overwritten here. Mm-hmm. He, it was not as subtle as in Rebel Rising. You don't have time for the development. You just see like already he's sort of hard and paranoid and violent. Mm-hmm. And so our, our ghost crew just is not comfortable with him and his methods. Yeah. And I guess that's because it happens later on, um, closer to yeah. what we see in Jetta. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I did appreciate kind of that consideration of growth, but it was like, my God, Saw, calm down. Like, it's going mm-hmm. to be all right. Just chill you know stop trying to take he's a little prisoners. dude with an egg don't worry about it you know <laughs> <laughs> um also click clack i hated that name i hated it too i was like oh guys just don't just don't um no it was very uh colonial uh-huh. to sort of get that kind of name i mm-hmm. thought now is this the queen egg in this episode, is this the queen egg that grows up to be the queen that Darth Vader goes and kills in the comic series? I 
was making that connection, but that doesn't mean that it's really there. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole planet. I'm sure there's a queen egg on the other side of the planet. Um, Could be. Yep. Nobody's bothered to go look. (laughs) But as with every Star Wars thing, there's only one city on each planet. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And nothing happens on the other side. Luckily, every planet is a monocultural. Yes. (laughs) You know, I heard someone explain that to me as in... um, well, each of these planets are incredibly smaller than our Earth. And really? So, yeah, yeah. And so that's why you can have um, monoculture because it's not the size of the Earth. It's more the size of a country or, you know, <clears throat> sort of. I was like, mm, okay, but how small is it really? Yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, gonna, I'm not going to accept that. Sorry. Yeah. I'm like, can a whole planet be just a jungle? Is that possible? We should, we should actually ask a we should ask a physicist or mm-hmm. like that. I'm sure someone know. with knowledge of physics and environmental studies and stuff yes. listens to us right now. Uh, That's what we need. We need to know how small can it, can a planet be and still have uh, revolution and rotation to support human life? And if you only have one ecosystem on a planet, does it also support? various types of life yeah yeah i'm, I'm seeing holes in this everywhere maybe maybe yeah <laughs> um so it was interesting and um forrest whitaker played the voice of saw in the show as well yeah that was cool i appreciated that mm-hmm. um and then after the ghost of genosis um episodes we have the ones i think really stood out to me the dark saber ones yes more sabine yes and, I mean, we knew this was coming. Um, last yes. year at, at Star Wars Celebration, they kind of talked about Sabine getting some new toys this year. Um, <laughs> the jetpack was one of them. And they did mention the Darksaber. And we saw it teased in the last um, ha- half of the season where they found it. And I was so pleased with the way that they approached it and the amount of time they spent with Sabine getting to the point where she was wielding the dark saber and being a badass. I was so glad that it was a two parter because I wanted there to be a training part mm-hmm. and there was, um, and also enough time with the Mandalorian so that you got some of what was going on there and what the different factions were. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I liked most about the clone war series was learning more about Mandalore. Yeah. And Duchess Satine and the Mandalore culture. Oh, Duchess Satine, we miss you. I know. I still want to think that that Sabine, well, I should, this was my daughter's idea, not mine. I still would like to believe that Sabine is Obi-Wan and Satine's secret daughter. (laughs) And Clan Wren just adopted her, you know, just to help save face. They found her in a basket on the porch and they took her in. Yes. Um, It could still happen. (laughs) Um, But the training episode was one that I watched the other day and I almost cried again. It was just, it was very well done. And Ezra was insufferable. As usual. As usual. Um, But I think they, that Hera made a good point during that time. You know, why are you being harder on Sabine than you Mm -hmm. are on Ezra? Mm -hmm. And I don't think Kanan really knew why. I think he said, you know, well, you know, uh, I wanted to be a better teacher than I was the first time. But really, I mean, I think you're just 
you know, it, it, you definitely felt um, that gendered stereotype come out. Um, or at least it, it read that way to me. I mean, Sabine is a much better fighter than Ezra. She's more mature yeah. than Ezra. Yes. She's older than Ezra. She's been with the yes. ghost crew longer than Ezra. And she gets... She should be the main character instead of Ezra. She should be. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, and she yet, has more depth and breadth than Ezra. And Kanan just kind of like, all right, here's a stick. Learn these forms. Whereas, you know, every Jedi we've seen trained in, um, you know, from Luke and, and Ray and Ezra, like, all right, here's a shiny glow stick of death. You know, <laughs> have fun. Um, and I think that built up that frustration in Sabine as she's, you know, being looked down upon. Or I felt like she was looking being looked down upon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I took it that way, too. The only alternate explanation I could think of is that Kanan just sort of inherently has more respect for a force user, mm. even if he's immature and annoying and putting people in danger and acting Dumb. insufferable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the end, uh, Sabine learns to use the Darksaber and wields it very well. Yes. And the decision she makes after she wins that bout, of course, is also a great character moment that, mm. that she won't, that she won't kill him. Yeah. yeah. But her mom will. Her mom will. <laughs> so, so that, wipe, that uh, just wipes our hands of him. I like the mention of Garth Saxon as the emperor's hand. Mm-hmm. Little shout out to Mara Jade. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of curious. I mean, the about... idea that there's. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say just the idea that there is an emperor's hand that I was glad to hear it. Yeah. And I was kind of curious about to what extent does an emperor's hand um, operate? Like, do they wield the force or, you know, is that kind of, yeah, you know, they didn't really touch on that at all. It made it seem like um, more like Game of Thrones, hand of the king kind of thing. Just yeah. An, an advisor. That's true. Um, but I did enjoy meeting Clan Wren. Me too. And uh, what's her name? Ursa? Ursa Wren? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought she was great. And I loved the portrait of her behind her throne. <laughs> yeah. Um, holding her helmet and, you know, kind of seeing that, that pride in that one painting made me think back to um, the Protectors of Concord Dawn episode where Sabine's like, I forged my armor with my family. Mm-hmm. And just that emphasis on that culture and respect for um, tradition and, you know, what I made, I made because of the people ahead of me. Right. And then she speaks out against the empire to save her family, but they, they disagree with that decision. Mm -hmm. They turn on her. (laughs) And, uh, but it was, it it was hard because the, I, I really, really liked those two episodes so much. And then at the end when she stayed, I was like, no, 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 Come back with us. <laughs> I mean, story-wise, it made it actually did make sense, but mm-hmm. it's like I don't want you to not show up until the finale. But that is that, what happened. Yeah, because that meant more screen time for Ezra. <laughs> it sure did. Um, and then we had the uh, through Imperial Eyes episode mm-hmm. where we got some more um, uh, callous action and just yes. how resourceful he is. 
he he's a true imperial, I guess. <laughs> Glad he's on our he, side. He was he was pretty, he was cold blooded. Mm-hmm. So he blames that guy. I want to say List. Is that right? Yes. And List has just accused Price of being Fulcrum and Shatter. Mm-hmm. Alice blames List, but of course Thrawn. Thrawn is Thrawn. He's being very Thrawny here, looking mm-hmm. at um, Ezra's helmet. And uh, he knows, looking at the Loth cat in a Sabine Wren design on the helmet, <laughs> because he's Thrawn. I mean, yeah. what else can you say? It's He's he's just too good. Yeah. So Ezra had that helmet on, and therefore Thrawn knows it's callous, and that's just great. Mm-hmm. So that means we spent, like, the next couple episodes knowing that Thrawn knows mm-hmm. Fulcrum and what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, there's the episode where they meet Mon Mothma. Yep. Which is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. I always love seeing Mon Mothma show up in cartoons. Um, although I didn't quite like the character design of her or the rendition of her on this episode. In what way? Um, um, I think I like the Clone Wars one better, but... Uh, well, it's hard to compare. It is. The, I know what you're saying, yeah. Because um, it goes back to any character I see in both shows. I almost always yeah. prefer the Clone Wars one. And I know that's not fair. But, no, it's not, but I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, but it was really satisfying at the end of the episode to see the Rebel fleet start to amass. Yeah. Yeah, because at first it's like they're outgunned, <laughs> they're outgunned, outmanned. Um, but she gives a speech and they mm-hmm. show up, and of course it's it's Dantooine, which is great because that ties in with mm-hmm. the first movie when um, Princess Leia lies and says the base is on Dantooine, and they found old remnants. Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, Warhead. Which I don't remember Meh. what that, uh, which one that was. Was Zeb. that the, oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, didn't care. Yeah. Uh, double agent droid. Or was it AP5? Mostly didn't, yeah, mostly didn't care except there was Wedge. Yes. And uh, as my husband likes to point out, the first time we get to see someone pee in space in Star Wars. <laughs> I should have marked that down as a milestone. I didn't. (laughs) I was like, okay, well, you know, teenage wedge. Okay. We'll let him have that on there. But the, the last or two episodes really, I guess, are the, the big ones for this season, twin sons and then zero hour. And twin sons was the, the end for Darth Maul. It was. We thought he had been ended before, but we were wrong. Yep. Yeah, but we thought he was gone again, but we were wrong. He can, he can live through being bisected, but not by getting it in the chest. No, no. Um, this was an episode, you know, it was a slow burn. Um, a lot of... It was. It, and I was just, I was honestly like looking at my watch, watching this episode. I'm like, <laughs> come on, come on, come yeah. on. This is, and uh, I was not patient with it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those where, like, the last six minutes, really, that's all you need to watch. Um, yeah. You know. And I did watch, I rewatched those last few minutes mm-hmm. a few times. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, and I, I, I totally admit, 
I was expecting an epic lightsaber battle. Yeah. Um, and, and so the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, huh. But then the more I thought about it, I got what they were doing. I got mm-hmm. that this is an older, wiser, more powerful Obi-Wan. I mm-hmm. got the Qui-Gon-ness of the setup. I, I got it. I just wanted more. Mm-hmm. And listening to the interviews and explanations of the episode where they're basically like, you know, all the good warriors don't take long to fight. And I just kept thinking, like, mm, Anakin versus Obi-Wan. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, mm. you know, whatever 30-minute lightsaber battle that was in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, but, that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I was also really into Usagi Yojimbo at the time. And anytime mm-hmm. that Usagi fought against someone, it was, like, one quick panel, one move. And whichever warrior uh-huh. came out with that move was the the victor. It was the same way for this episode and this fight where these two men faced off and it was first one to land their strike wins. Yeah. And right. won. And he won and, and you all the the whole fight is in their eyes and mm-hmm. in the way they're sussing each other out. Um and, right. So I I I did I appreciated it. And uh, I would still like to see the alternate version of the 20-minute lightsaber battle. I would like to see but the no, alternate this, version this was... in Clone Wars style. <laughs> sure. Which I guess has been every episode of Obi-Wan and Darth Maul in Clone Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the, but the fight, right, I, I get, I, I, I do understand it. Um, and the homestead at the end, ah, oh, pulling mm-hmm. my heartstrings. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we're almost, I mean, we're one season away. I mean, Rebels ends right. season four. Yes. Um, with the assumption that it bumps right up to A New mm-hmm. Hope or right. I guess Rogue One almost. Well, we should, after we talk about Zero Hour, can we talk about the trailer for a second? I only remember a couple things from it. but Yes. So um, Zero Hour, two-part episode. A good 40-ish minutes of uh, the Empire just destroying the Rebels. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Yep. You know, we've we've seen this whole season Thrawn be patient and let the Rebels get away. And trying to explain Mm -hmm. to his comrades, no, no, their their time will come. Um, I've gathered Mm -hmm. all the data I need. I've gathered all the information. And just waiting and waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden, bam, he... Um, captures Callus. He knows exactly where the rebels are. He gets his um, his interdictors together and the star destroyers, and goes to Chopper Base to destroy the rebels. Mm-hmm. And it is scary. And the system is not in the star charts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it's in the art. Oh, yeah. oh Thrawn! Yes. <laughs> um, and I mean the first half of of the show where. You know, there's this desperate attempt to, you know, protect the base and get the fighters out there. Um, is the first half when Ezra leaves? Isn't it? He leaves to go to Mandalore and then he comes back the second half. Um, or let's just talk I, about it in whole because I, I, I can't. I watched it, it all in a lump, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. Um, 
you know, so the, the rebel ships fly out to meet the Imperial forces and they are quickly mm-hmm. overwhelmed. Um, yeah. The, the interdictors can pull a ship out of hyperspace, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, as they could in old novels mm-hmm. as well. And they have two of them, I believe. Um, one with Constantine manning the helm and then one with uh, Price, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we see why um, Thrawn is so successful um, because Constantine cannot be patient and he is ready to, you know, why are we waiting here? Why am I holding this position? Breaks position and the interdictor falls. And I cannot remember the name of the general who um, sacrifices himself to take it down. Oh, no. I don't Uh, think I wrote it down. Yes, but It was not dissimilar to... Oh, to what? There was another somebody sacrificing themselves in, in what End. we read. Empire's End, yeah. right, right. Where she took With down the tractor her, beam. Yes. Yeah, that um, was cool. Which is terrible because he's been in the Rebels since like the end of season one. Um, but anyway, he oh, looks... I can, I can picture him, but I don't remember his name. Yeah, we saw his uh, nephew not too long ago. <laughs> With Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Um, but Thank you was, for your sacrifice. <laughs> it was very heroic and gave the Ezra the opportunity to leave to seek more help. Mon Mothma is not ready for that play yet. Um, he goes to Sabine yeah. and the Mandalorians, Clan Wren, who they've got their own troubles, um, their own stuff going on, which, you know, give me a comic miniseries that takes place between uh, Ezra and Kanan leaving Sabine there and then Ezra coming back. Sure. But... You know, Clan Wren recognizes that the rebels brought Sabine back to them, and yeah. grant grant um, Sabine the the privilege of taking some of her clansmen, and they really turn the tide of that battle. Yeah, along with some super cool optics of running around in space with jetpacks and yes. stuff. <laughs> um, there is an attack on the actual planet. And Kanan enlists the help of the Bindu. Yeah. Yep. And honestly, I think that was the only way that they could have story-wise outsmarted Thrawn. Yeah. I mean, either they had to escape or they had to bring the Bendu ex machina, mm-hmm. as I like to think of it. But, you know, I, I just could not love that. I could not love the pulling the rabbit out of the hat mm-hmm. to fix stuff for them. Yeah, because Kanan really had no idea what the Bindu would do. I mean, he had no. he even seen the Bindu's power? Right. I, mean, I don't remember the Does Bindu he, having... Do we even anything. know? We don't even know what the Bindu is, really. Yeah. So I, I don't know what his end goal was in asking him for help or why he felt he had to warn the Bindu. Um, and then seeing the storm creature and, and Thrawn just trying to work his way around it. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I understand that they had to throw something out there that he would have not been able to plan for. And that would have been the only way that they could have gotten away. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know how they were. I thought that maybe they were going to end it on a cliffhanger of the rebels look like they're about to be wiped out Mm -hmm. and then give themselves a while to think about how they would get out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so this seemed, I just, I don't want to say it felt lazy. That's not the right word. Too easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if the Bendu, the idea of the Bendu 
can tie in with The Last Jedi at all. What you were saying Mm -hmm. when we started talking about light and dark is too simple. The Um, the whole picture of the Force. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, well. Ben Ben doesn't fit into the light and dark, light or dark category. Right, right. Um, The ending of the, the season also kept Thrawn alive and kept Thrawn in play. Um, So now I'm curious how he's going to be used next season. Yeah. Um, Callus also joins the rank of the rebels officially. He Uh, he gets out in an escape pod. That was cool. And all of Tumblr erupted with hot Callus tags. Um, I do have in my notes, sexy Callus. (laughs) (laughs) All because he gets a little bit beaten up and lock of his hair falls out of place. And all of a sudden, like, no, he looks totally different with a little more hair. Yeah. A little more hair and a rebel. I guess that's all it takes Mm -hmm. to get my attention. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I am. I'm interested to see what his clothing choices next season will be. If he's going to rock like the Henley look that that Han had or like a a nice open (laughs) V suit. Well, the man's got sideburns for days. You know, he's he's probably got some chest hair or something. Um, You would think. Dave Filoni, call me up if you need any design tips <laughs> or <laughs> want to get in the minds of, you know, the adult women who watch Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> but, the, but some of you may want to hear us talk about other stuff in the, in the trailer. Oh, uh, yes. yes. What I garnered from the trailer is sexy callous and they all die. <sighs> that's, that seems that's my conclusion. Mm-hmm. It's actually been a while since I've seen the trailer. Um, in fact, if you could give a quick recap of some of the main things that happened, that might jog my memory. Honestly, what I just said to you is the, uh, five words that I wrote down about the trailer (laughs) when I watched it. So no, I honestly can't. I mean, there was a, there was a voiceover, like a haunting voiceover Mm -hmm. by Hera and it just looked like things were very bad for our friends. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that did stick out to me, um, as far as, um, what they mentioned during Star Wars Celebration, the Rebels panel was that Dave Filoni is excited that he's going to end the show the way he wants. Yes. Um, and it just makes you think more and more about what we could have had with Clone Wars had he had the opportunity to end it the way he truly wanted to. Right. So... Like we would have had a, a Dark Disciple episode, I guess, yeah. for instance. What turned into the book Dark Disciple, that is. Mm-hmm. That um, would have been nice. So I'm, I'm sitting here kind of looking online real quick. Uh, oh, go yeah. ahead. But I guess my question, though, is how can they not mostly die? Hey, something's got to happen to Ezra and Kanan. They can't hang <laughs> around. They, it, that would be difficult to explain. Yeah. Hmm. When you're butting right up against, um, well, not just Rogue One, but you're mm-hmm. butting right up against Rogue One and then the first movie, A New Hope. Yeah. Um, one after the other, how can you talk about, oh, by the way, there are these other two Jedi? It just doesn't make it, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's also a kid's cartoon, so how do you kill them? The same way you did Ahsoka? Just. <laughs> have her walk off into the distance she's not dead mara i know i know but i can't think of a a nice way for them to end her 
or in um, Canaan and, and Ezra. And Ezra, no, I don't. I mean, and, and it's fine if Sabine and Hera survive, but you can't make grand claims about Last of the Jedi. Obi Wan and Luke being the last of the Jedi if they're not the last of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, these things just don't match up. No, just but don't match up. I, Dave, Filoni, Dave Filoni will figure out a way. I'm sure. I'm sure he's already figured out a way, like three seasons ago, and I'm sure he. That's, has just not told anyone it's all, yet. It's all stored up in his hat. <laughs> oh, God bless that man in his hat. <laughs> okay. Um, so, comics. Yeah, I know. I took us off track there, but we were talking about Saw yeah. and uh, yeah. it was delay. And Go ahead. Tell me about Yoda arc. Uh, Yoda's Secret War. <laughs> Which... Uh, it's like, Jason Aaron, you've had so many good Star Wars issues up until this arc. And I don't understand uh, why I we I did not it. like anything. No, I just, and I love Yoda. Love Yoda. I was very excited for this arc when it was previewed and then when it came out. And then I just, I think I said this when I, when, uh, I, one day when I was on Talking Comics and we talked about maybe the first one or the second one, but mm-hmm. to me it just seemed like Lord of the Flies, but with force rocks. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't change. And then uh, mm, the idea that Luke <laughs> is reading about a little green froggy looking master how can you say that and then have him be totally, totally shocked on Dagobah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he that knew Yoda's not- name too. It's not like mm-hmm. he, he can't put, you know, two and two together. He knew the name. He knew what the character looked like. <sighs> and what? Huh? It's just, and the other thing that bothers me and now that we've gotten to the end of the arc and we're in the Screaming Citadel, um, yeah. Luke's in an X-Wing looking for 3PO, who was captured mm-hmm. by the Scar Troopers, who has mm-hmm. vital information um, because apparently the Rebels don't clear memory banks of their droids. No, no. no. <laughs> um, so he's spending all this time out in space, like, what, six issues of <laughs> this comic reading about Yoda? Um, sorry, five, five, five issues of this comic reading about Yoda, and then goes straight into the Screaming Citadel arc. So how long is 3PO being held by Scar Troopers? And Poor how 3PO. much? I know. How much information are they getting from him during this time? Right. I mean, I'm, I'm far more interested in this, these elite stormtroopers um, ever since the, what was it, the Harbinger arc? The one before yeah, this one? Yeah, and that's... And that- yeah, that made that made the Yoda arc so hard too because Rebel and Jail, Rebel Jail, and Flight of the Harbinger were so strong. Mm-hmm. This, this just didn't. Just, I mean, it comes out of nowhere, which can be okay. It, it could be a great self-contained Yoda story, but it just, I just could not. It just seemed every step of it just seemed so predictable, mm-hmm. and have no has no impact on anything else, and didn't really give us any further insight into Yoda Mm -hmm. or show him being, well, I mean, I guess you could argue it showed him being super awesome Mm -hmm. and powerful. But But we knew that already. We know that. We know that. Yeah. 
So I do feel bad saying it because I do think he's a good writer and I just, I just could not, I thing I just could not get into it. Yeah. Same here. I'm glad we're in our, you know, our Star Wars crossover of the year. Um, yeah. The yeah. Screaming Citadel. Yeah. Um, which is Luke and Dr. Afra teaming up, quote unquote. What a great pair. That's a great pair. Very good idea to put them together. It They're is. so different. Um, I mean, she's got this great idea of, hey, I've got this, you know, and I guess we should mention in the Dr. Afra comic, she teams up with her right. father and they find yes. um, the immortal Rur. I guess, R U R. Yeah. A ancient Jedi master who is in a crystal? Who's. Yeah. Is Does this mean we should talk about Afra first? Yeah, maybe. Let's, let's do that. Yeah. Well, okay. Here. <laughs> kind of while I'm thinking about it. Um, right, right. So we've had, what, four issues of Dr. Afra this year? Uh, yes. Three, four, five, six. Yes. yes. Um, and so we got to know Dr. Afra a little bit more and find out that she might not be so much a doctor as, as she tells people. <laughs> Um, right academia <laughs> hey it's tough man his cutthroat <laughs> um her father shows up and we kind of see that maybe she didn't have the most nurturing childhood growing up um, right but nothing was malicious you know it, it reminded me a lot of indiana jones and his father um yes and henry jones senior who was so invested in his search for the holy grail you know, Dr. Afra's father is so, so much looking for this ancient Jedi temple and, and things like that, that he kind of neglects his own family. Um, right. Which is interesting to me that both Indiana Jones and Dr. Afra go into archaeology after seeing the yes. harm done to them from it. True. But, but, but just quick reminder of an interview with Kieran Gillen, where he said, when he first introduced Afra, a lot of people thought she was an Indiana Jones figure, but really she's a Belloc yes, figure. Which that first issue they, kind of solidified that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, but, but there's definitely there's Indiana Jones stuff happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm About okay with that comparison. I like that she's not good. Um, oh yeah. But this this main series, her solo series, kind of shows her in a softer light than uh -huh. the Vader comic did. Much more sympathetic character, even though I was totally on her side from, what, issue three of Darth Vader when she shows up. Yeah, I was too. And 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 this is not to say that she is like this soft, vulnerable, cutesy character, not by any means. I mean, the Afra that you met in Vader is this Afra. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you're right, that having the father sort of... Um, deepens her characterization yeah uh one of my favorite moments in this comic was in issue six mm -hmm. where um, they're getting off this planet with their their find and everything and oh gosh what's her name tolvin captain tolvin yes with the metal neck yes kind of um they they meet up and that's how they get off planet and you know tolvin threatens afra and afra's father sh kind of like stabs tolvin with a lightsaber <laughs> Um, uh huh. And Afra just leaves her somewhere in the outer rim, and is like, yep. eh, "I could have killed you, but you're, you're too cute." 
and told it's like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and also her father, I mean, just another Afra thing is like her father is mad at her for kind of robbing corpses when they're on their way out. <laughs> but, you know, it works out for them. Um, mm-hmm. But that's where she gets this this um, crystal that has yeah. this power in it. And, and she, you know, wants it and wants to figure out what's inside of it. And the only way she can is to take it to um, this queen who has her screaming citadel and grants favors once a year for organic life forms that interest her. Right. And we think that the, I don't want to say soul necessarily, the, mm-hmm. that Roar's essence is mm-hmm. in the crystal. And yeah. she kind of fools her father like she's going to put the crystal away in this giganto, gigantic room that looks like where they put the Ark of the Covenant at the end of <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Um, but she fooled her father. That was a fake. She's going to sell the real one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Except then she decides, okay, let's find out what's in it. And and so that's how she, I guess, decides that Luke can help her with this in front of the queen. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. I didn't, well, guess I didn't write down the queen's name. Because Sorry. you don't even try to pronounce the name is what Afra tells him. Well, it's Kathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathath
Well, the queen is definitely double crossing her. Of course. Um, of course. Is. And uh, Han, Sana, and Leia are trying to find Luke. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, but if it keeps going back and forth like this, I'm, I feel like I'm being down on Jason Aaron again, but he wrote the second one. Mm -hmm. So Star Wars 31 and, and I, we were not so enchanted with the Yoda arc and I didn't think that number 31 here was that interesting Mm -hmm. either, but mate, but if the next one goes back to Kieran Gillen, Mm -hmm. I hate to compare them. I mean, clearly Jason Aaron is a great writer. I've liked many things that he's written. Um, but this little run here is not, I, I don't know. It's not as interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Poe Dameron. Yes. Still, yeah, it's, I mean, it's still there. Um, the arc ended, uh, what was that arc called? Gathering Storm. Yeah. I mean, I was, that one didn't pull me in. The way I I think when we talked about Poe last, we both agreed it kind of started slow, mm-hmm. and then we really liked a few of them. The hut, yeah, um, Gracchus the yeah. hut. Yeah, right, right, right. And then it seemed to to me to get you don't have to agree, but get a little slower again. I like Terex yeah. as a character, and of course I I like a droid that calls people meat, as mm-hmm. you were saying mm-hmm. before. N one Z six. Yeah, and um. And 3PO is always amusing to me, but really was number 14, you know, 13, 14, 15, where yeah. I was like, yeah, this is good. Yeah. I think that up until, you know, we get to Poe returning back to base and Leia yeah. reappearing in the comic, it seemed to lose sight of itself. Like, well, to be fair, though, it was number 13 where we get that Mr. Bones' essence appearance. Yes. So that that was definitely a moment. Yes, yeah. Um, but the whole time I'm like, I thought we were looking for Laura Santeca. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, I remember that from 10 issues ago. Yeah, I'm like, are we taking a detour? I mean, and at one point Poe's like, oh, remember your brother? Wasn't I supposed to do that? I'm like, yeah, Charles Soule, wasn't he supposed to do that? Um and so I, I just seemed like it kind of lost itself along the way. But the other complaint I had when the Poe Dameron comic started was it was about him finding Laura Santeca. And that's not a lot mm-hmm. of time before The Force Awakens starts. And so I right, kind of feel like right. this was an intentional tangent because you got to fill up an ongoing. You can't get to the end mm-hmm. that quickly. So, But if you're going to do that, you should probably make a little more reference to that mm-hmm. as a goal. Yeah. Um, again, I do think Terex is interesting and this now Terex interfacing with the first order also, mm-hmm. um, is interesting. And we've got this new commander, this first order woman who's mm-hmm. all dressed in black. That's cool. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the, even though I really liked the last couple, it's not that it's not, because of Laura Santeca and then the, and finding him. Yeah. So I think the, the one that we both really enjoyed was number 14. Oh, well, because in number, we have to say, because as a number 13, one of our squadron dies, Mm -hmm. Lula. Mm -hmm. And so number 14, you know, go ahead and say what it's. Legend lost is the, the arc for this one. And it is his funeral. Yeah. And it's 
it's not really his funeral. Let's just say it. It's yeah, Carrie, it's Fisher's, Carrie funeral. Fisher's funeral. Um, you know, General um, General uh, Organa kind of heads up this this um, the wake and the funeral and has a lot of speaking lines and a lot of just reassuring things that that are stated. Um, and the one that really gets me that it has a callback at the end of the issue is this idea that we are luminous beings. Um, and it's just really um, comforting that this throwaway line that Yoda says in Empire Strikes Back to Luke made its way to Leia, who shared right. that with others. It's like right. a little tidbit of Jedi insight that just kept spreading throughout the um, the New Republic and then the resistance after that. And this belief that, you know, we become more than what we are. And, you know, the end of the issue, General Solo saying that one day, sooner than we'd like, she'll also be uh, luminous. Oh, uh, it, it was a killer. It was a killer because I didn't, I, like you, I try not to read about things before I read them. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, we're going to have a funeral for Lulo and they'll probably have the Leia character say some stuff. And then there's just this panel that's just it Carrie Fisher saying, I'll be luminous. And it was like, somebody pass me some tissues, please. <laughs> it was just, uh, oh, yeah, really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles Soule and Angel or possibly Angel Unzueta. Mm-hmm. Although one little thing, her eyes are not blue. They're brown. Well, they can't help themselves, I guess. Uh, okay. Brown, brown eyed erasure right there. (laughs) (laughs) But her, they were brown some in some places, um, or at least darker, Mm -hmm. but yeah, they were definitely blue too. So it was, it was very well done. And, and after I read the issue, I kind of looked to see, um, some mentions of it in sort of comics news articles and Charles soul said, yeah, you know, this is my tribute to Carrie Fisher Mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad I didn't know before I read yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then one last comic series for us to touch on, um, a new one this this year, mm-hmm. Darth Maul. Yeah. Which uh, I was like, do we need more Darth Maul? <laughs> um, but I guess we do. I guess we do. This, um, this series is uh, by Colin Bunn and Luke Ross, who Luke Ross did the artwork for The Force Awakens um, comicization comic adaptation Um, (laughs) it's a good word though comicization yeah yeah uh so this takes place before the phantom menace which isn't necessarily the time i wanted to know more about darth maul's life i was kind of interested what he was doing in the trash piles you know with no legs and stuff like that agreed okay agreed um you know we're only we're really only three issues in so far and it just seems like yeah, he's got a lot of hatred for Jedi. He's got hate. Yeah. I'm not quite a sure lot of hate. why, other than he's been told to hate Jedi. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember, I know you read the, the Padme one, but there were these three, um, I want to say middle grade books yeah. that were Phantom Menace related, right? So one of them was called Anakin's Diary, one was Padme's Diary, and one was Darth Maul's Diary. Mm-hmm. And I remember 
you know, my daughter and I were very excited to read the Darth Maul one because we both were like, he's so he's so compelling in the Phantom Menace while saying virtually nothing. Mm-hmm. And you know virtually nothing about him. So we were looking forward to this diary. But the diary book, I mean, it's it's an interesting read. It's not as good as the Podme and Anakin ones because there's still not much being sketched in about him. It's just kind of like Palpatine treats him badly and teaches him to hate mm-hmm. and kind of makes him hard. Um, and so I was hoping that this comic maybe would fill in a little more of where the hate comes from and i'm not sure that it does yeah well again we're three issues in and as far as i know this is supposed to be an ongoing i don't oh is it i thought it was a mini many maybe it is a mini i can't keep track of which of these star wars books are ongoing and minis i thought poe was a mini for the longest time it might have started out that way though and Um, sometimes they do yeah um we saw cullen bunn a couple weeks ago at kansas city's comic-con and we mm-hmm. got him to sign our number one of Darth Maul, and we were talking to him, and he said that he really just wanted to write a Cad Bane comic. And I'm like, okay, that's what we're getting with Darth Maul. <laughs> um, Cad Bane and uh, Ara Singh and some other bounty mm-hmm. hunters whose names escape me at this time team up with Darth Maul to find this yeah, Bounty hunters can be fun. They're sort of our anti-heroes in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. It's amazing there's anybody out there with a bounty on them at all in yeah. the Star Wars universe, actually, given how many bounty hunters there are. <laughs> um, but yeah, where it's going with this whole thing about there's a Padawan being auctioned off and Maul is going behind Sidious's back to try to get this Padawan. Mm-hmm. Um you know that could be interesting, and yeah. I think the art the art is very nice looking. I think Maul looks great in particular, and I think that the way the last number three ended, it seems like there could be some interesting action coming up. Mm-hmm. True, true. Um, did you read either one of the Rogue One adaptations? I did. Okay. Yeah, I thought I I thought that that art was very good, also, and I thought that different from. The Force Awakens novelization, it was sort it I felt like this one might have been easier to follow for people who didn't see the movie. Okay. Because um, I did, did not you? pick up those. Oh, and okay. Part of that was because Matt talked me out of it because he said, remember how much you didn't like the Force Awakens one? <laughs> you, like, you did not. <laughs> and I ended up buying that one twice, once in single issues mm-hmm. and once in um, trade. So I was like, just buy it once in trade at the end. You already know what happens. I think that's fine. The 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 art looks really good. Mm-hmm. The the story is there and it's followable. I, nothing stuck out to me as oh that wasn't in the movie and that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, did it seem to follow the book more so far or just the movie? Or can you? I, I guess it's one of those things you can't tell until you get further along. Yes. And I, yeah, I guess if I don't remember, is that a good sign or a bad sign? Because I do, I mean, definitely the last time we spoke, we did talk about the novelization and we talked about some of the differences in that Mm -hmm. you have a little bit more of the deepening of the characterization, um, at least sort of descriptions Mm -hmm. of of stuff like that. But I mean, I felt like it was pretty much the movie. Okay. I'm all right with that. I'm okay. I liked Rogue One a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jody Hauser is the is the writer and uh, art by Emilio 
possibly Laiso, L-A-I-S-O, and Oscar Bazaldua. Okay. Or Bazaldua, probably. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they've already announced a couple of upcoming Star Wars comics titles. Um, yes. Mace Windu. Yes. Um, by Matt Owens and Dennis Cowan. Mm-hmm. And I believe this one's a five-issue miniseries. So. Was Dennis Cowan... I'm going to look this up while we're talking. Was he one of the founders of Milestone? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. Okay. I'm going to um, look I've it up. definitely heard that name before. Um, and not, not too long ago. I feel like he was connected to the Green Arrow series I read not too long. Um, that Jeff Lemire. It's Jeff Lemire? Yeah, I think he did some of the, not inks, maybe some color. I'm just, maybe he made worked on some covers or something. Oh, well, the answer is yes. He was one of the founders of Milestone. Interesting. Okay. Um, the art looks good so far. Uh, mm-hmm. At least what's been um, released as far as covers. Uh, yeah. So Mace Windu and then a Captain Phasma miniseries. Right. Four issues. Kelly Thompson. Yes. And Marco Cicchetto, Um, Which I'm real excited about that team up. That's going to be a, that, that for me is going to be the, the must read. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking forward to the Mace one too. Yeah, I, you know, all of them. I read, I'll read them all. Um, and then Cassian meets K2SO. <laughs> um, That's a, it's a one shot. Yeah. Um, so I'm imagining this is going to be something close to what the C3PO one shot was. Kind of a oh, that's really good. Yeah. yeah, something a little bit. I hope so. Less traditional comic storytelling, maybe something a little bit deeper. It's going to be forty pages. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I look, I look forward to it. Not really in the same way as the as the Mason Phasma, but I hope it's good. Yeah, and this one's written by Dwayne. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, and Fernando uh, Blanco. Uh, is it? Uh, Dwayne, I think it's Swarzynski. He wrote Birds of, Birds of Prey in the New 52. Yes. Uh, I didn't write it down, but I, I'm assuming that's yeah. who you mean. Yes, because since I tripped over the entire last name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, some uh, some good Star Wars comics, it seems like, in the works, um, covering all sorts of time periods, which is really encouraging to see. Um, mm-hmm. You know, prequel erasure is a real thing. And... <laughs> Yeah, it's very hurtful for those of us who were nine years old when the prequels came out, and you know, still have a little bit of nostalgia for those that era. <laughs> um, so again, we Mace Window, I think is going to be a good one. Yeah, yeah, I think that'll be cool. And I, I have to support Samuel L. Jackson in the video that he made for Celebration, <laughs> where he's like, Mace Windu's not dead, right? Yeah. I just fell out a window. It's okay. Yeah. You didn't see the body, did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, he's the uh, practitioner of the pod, we learn in the book Shatterpoint. And uh, so he's like the toughest warrior that the Jedi have. Mm-hmm. A little fall window whatever he'll bounce back nothing gets Uh, a couple droid hands yeah little cyborg he'll be fine yeah we're not worried about mace at all no he'll be back (laughs) um (laughs) so are we missing anything or is that all of it that was all i had 
Okay. Um, I mean, there are new novels coming out as well. Yes, yes. And uh, Battlefront. I know that much about them. Yeah. There's a new uh, Battlefront video game coming out later. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, we'll probably get together at the beginning of next year and discuss everything that happened since now until, you know, December. Because um, there's a well, lot to look forward to. Well, after Christmas, I guess we'll have a new movie to talk about. Oh, yeah. That's a uh, Han Solo's this year, isn't it? Right? No, is an no. episode eight, is oh. an episode eight Christmas and Han Solo is May? I thought, uh, oh, well, maybe I'm confused. I thought Last Jedi was May. Maybe I'm getting myself uh, out of timeline there. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Christmas. I'll okay. look it up. Hold on. Okay. Because uh, I thought everything got pushed back for uh, no good reason. Um, but regardless... Let's- Last Jedi, December 15th. Okay, good. Um, regardless, we will be coming back to do a year in review. We will. Oh, wait, wait. I thought of another thing, even yeah. though I didn't have it written down. Forces of Destiny. The, um, the, the, there will be animated shorts and uh, toy yes. lines. And the dolls. and. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited about that one. Right. So it'll be, let's see, uh, Hera and Sabine. Mm-hmm. Maz Kanata, Ray, Jin, and Ahsoka. Leia has one, right? Leia, mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, that's going to be fun. I'm, I'm and really excited. Start, yeah, they start over the summer. The shorts they'll mm-hmm. be on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I hope they're good. Yeah, there's also a um, 40th anniversary anthology collection. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, from a certain point of view. Yes. So I think that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait for that to come out. Yeah, that should be good. A lot of good authors in there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for this special edition of of Star Wars um, talk. Um, you know, happy 40th anniversary! And Yay. I know quite a few people remember seeing Star Wars for the first time in theaters, but. Some of us saw Star Wars for the first like time me. in our grandparents' <laughs> living room. It's <laughs> um, so, also fine. It's just also fine. Star Wars is for everyone, no matter what age, gender. That's right. Yes. So, um, and uh, we'll, we'll keep reading and watching, and uh, we'll come back again in, in December. And until then, may the Force be with you. Always. Always.